Plato is known to say, be kind because every person you meet is fighting a hard battle. And I think every person that we encounter to some degree or another has experienced some level of wounding that has shaped the way they live in the world. Welcome to the Jesus Storybook Bible Podcast, a place where we remind you that grace can rewrite any story, that hope shines a light through our darkest moments, and that God's love changes lives. Here's your host, New York Times bestselling author, Sally Lloyd-Jones. Hello, I'm Sally Lloyd-Jones, author of the Jesus Storybook Bible, which tells the story of God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Welcome to the show. The doctrine of the incarnation is a fundamental belief of the Christian faith. Tim Keller describes the incarnation like this. It's a belief that's unique to the Christian faith, that the eternal, infinite God became a human being in Jesus Christ, a physical, limited, vulnerable, mortal being in history. I tried to get at this in the story of the Annunciation in the Jesus Storybook Bible when Gabriel visits Mary. Let me read it to you. You don't need to be scared, Gabriel said. God is very happy with you. Mary looked around to see if perhaps he was talking to someone else. Mary, Gabriel said, and he laughed with such gladness that Mary's eyes filled with sudden tears. Mary, you're going to have a baby, a little boy. You will call him Jesus. He is God's own son. He's the one. He's the rescuer. The God who flung planets into space and kept them whirling around and around, the God who made the universe with just a word, the one who could do anything at all, was making himself small and coming down as a baby. Wait, God was sending a baby to rescue the world? But it's too wonderful, Mary said and felt her heart beating hard. How can it be true? Is anything too wonderful for God? Gabriel asked. What does that mean that God has come down into our world? What does it mean exactly for us today, where we live, in this world full of conflict and suffering and hatred and fracture? Tim Keller again. The Bible never counsels indifference to the forces of darkness, only resistance. But it supports no illusions that we can defeat them ourselves. Christianity does not agree with the optimistic thinker who says, we can fix things if we try hard enough. Nor does it agree with the pessimists who see only a dystopian future. The message of Christianity is, instead, things really are this bad and we can't heal or save ourselves. Things really are this dark. Nevertheless, there is hope. There is light outside of this world and Jesus has brought that light to save us. Our guest today shares powerfully and humbly about the power of love to break down walls. Pastor and author and native New Yorker, Rich Vilodas says, the core of sin is a failure to love. I love that definition. And he gives us very practical ways to navigate conflict. And then he invites us to consider how in conflict and disagreements and tensions, 
that the great act of love is to be willing to step into someone else's world. Because the greatest act of love was when Jesus stepped into ours. I'm so grateful to Rich for bringing us such a beautiful, hope-filled and timely message. So without further ado, please welcome my friend and now yours, Rich Velodis. My name is Rich Velodis. I am a native New Yorker, the husband to Rosie, the father to Karis and Nathan, and the lead pastor of New Life Fellowship Church in Queens, New York City, a church where over 75 nations are worshipped and 123 languages are spoken in the neighborhood, a place where National Geographic called the most diverse zip code in the world. And I'm also an author, author of The Deeply Formed Life and Good and Beautiful and Kind. Being a pastor at a church where 75 nations are represented, we've seen all kinds of difficulties as it relates to listening to each other. And so whether we're talking about public health, whether we're talking about race, politics, sexuality, uh, there are just so many issues in which people have very strong opinions about things. And those strong opinions actually lead to a lack of curiosity a lack of humility towards that end. And so one of the things I've tried to do as a pastor is to help people, number one, ground their identity in God and in the grace of God and in the love of God. My identity is not rooted in having the right opinion about a particular issue. My identity is rooted in the love of Jesus. And if I can begin from that point, then I can live not without conviction, but I can live open-handedly or more open-handedly with greater curiosity with a greater capacity to ask questions. And so whenever disagreements, conflicts, and tensions surface, which is inevitable and has happened since the very beginning of human existence, my hope is that people would see, number one, their identities in God, but number two, because of that, one of the great acts of love is to actually step into the world of someone else. And in this way, this is the way of Jesus. Jesus is marked by incarnation. And we talk a lot at our church about incarnational listening. What does it mean to leave our world and to enter into the world of someone else and to hold on to ourselves, but at the same time, allow the, that world and that perspective to shape our understanding a little bit more. I think this is an incarnational way of being, a John 1.14 way of being in the world. And so what I've had to repeatedly do is remind people that we follow a God who has stepped into our world and our space. And Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit in order to do the same, not to stay within our own uh, bubbles and our own places where it's just regurgitating what we already believe about everything. But what might it look like to enter into the world of someone else and maybe to encounter God there as well? I think if we live in our world in this way, I'm not trying to prove myself to you about my opinions or about how I think the world should be ordered necessarily and do it in a way that is very defensive and antagonistic. I don't have anything to possess or anything to protect. So whenever I hear criticism, whenever I hear a different way of seeing the world, I can do so with great humility. Now, this is the great task before us because we live in a world in which there is much to prove and much to protect and much to possess. But the way of Jesus invites us to a way that's much freer than that. 
Therefore, I'm going to enter into these spaces prayerfully and hopefully in the way of Jesus and in the love of Jesus, not withdrawing from my convictions, but entering into those spaces with a greater capacity to be compassionately curious, humble, open, listening, and ultimately and hopefully loving. Langston Hughes wrote a poem called Tired, and his poem said, I am so tired of waiting, aren't you, for the world to become good and beautiful and kind. Let us take a knife and cut the world in two and see what worms are eating at the rind. And when Hughes mentions, let's take a knife and let's cut the world in two, he's not talking about greater division. It's really the language of depth. There are worms beneath the surface of our lives and of our society that gets in the way of goodness, uh, beauty, and kindness. And so the question is, how can we name our longings and our aches for this, and at the same time do the deep work of identifying what are the worms that are keeping us from living into this reality? I think at the core of sin is a failure to love. Jesus said that uh, the first and greatest commandment was to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so if the greatest commandment is rooted in love, then sin must be failure to love. Failure to love God and failure to love our neighbor as ourselves. I remember hearing someone say, whenever there's a conflict with someone, what if we went into that conflict, let's just say a relative, someone in our church, someone in our community, and we went into that conflict saying, could we pledge not to see each other as the enemy? Could we pledge to see each other as people made in the image of God who deserve to be heard, who should have a voice to speak? Can we pledge not to demonize and see each other's enemy? And I think, imagine if we actually proactively went about our way doing that and said, can we pledge not to be complicit with the evil powers in the world that are marked by division and deception and depersonalization? And can we actually be marked by the way of curiosity and humility and love? Humility really invites us into a holy unawareness of certain things. I cannot explain everything. And humility says I can't explain everything, but I do want to live in the way of Jesus. I do want to live in the way of love. I do want to live in the way of curiosity and humility. Conflict is inevitable, and I think that's the number one thing we have to remember when we think about our relationships. And so I think naming the reality and normalizing conflict is the first step to actually addressing it. A lot of people believe that to experience conflict means that it's a sign of unhealth. And I actually think that to never experience conflict is actually a sign of unhealth. I think of conflict in three stages. The first stage is kind of the heavenly stage in which everything is wonderful. Then we find out that everything is not wonderful and it usually leads to a kind of hellish stage where we, the, the pendulum swings very quickly and we realize not everyone sees the world the way I do. For example, as a pastor, I know who's always new to our congregation. They love everything about our church, the preaching, the community life. And I can tell very quickly because they speak about our church in romanticized and idealized ways. And it's usually at that point where I ask, how long have you been coming here? And they say, ah, you know, two weeks. And I say, well, stick around for a little bit because uh, you might find some challenges within our community like you will in every community. 
And it is at that point, because people romanticize and idealize relationships so much, whenever there is discouragement or disagreement, it can feel hellish. And at that point, the question becomes, how do we hold on to the tensions, which is that third stage, the holding the tension stage, where this is not heaven, neither is it hell. And people are not angels and neither are they demons. We want to hold these tensions together. It requires healthy speaking and healthy listening. Healthy speaking really is marked by four things. Speaking respectfully, clearly, honestly, and in a timely manner. And I think if we began there, how is my speech respectful? How is my speech clear? How is my speech honest? How is my speech done in a timely manner? I think that's the first thing we have to begin to cultivate as we think about the fractures of our world. But then there's the listening piece, as I alluded to earlier. How do I live with curiosity? How do I live entering into the world of others? How do I live with nothing to protect, possess, or, or to prove? And so at the essence of what it means to experience wholeness in our relationships, I don't think it's too simplistic to say it comes down to, am I speaking in a healthy way? Am I listening in a healthy way? And if our lives are oriented in this direction, I think we'd experience much more healing and wholeness than we do today. This is an excerpt from Jesus' storybook Bible, the Song of Creation from Genesis 1 and 2. So God breathed life into Adam and Eve. When they opened their eyes, the first thing they ever saw was God's face. And when God saw them, he was like a new dad. You look like me, he said. You're the most beautiful thing I've ever made. God loved them with all of his heart, and they were lovely because he loved them. And Adam and Eve joined in the song of the stars and the streams and the wind and the trees, the wonderful song of love to the one who made them. I love this passage because to live into goodness and beauty and kindness in our world, we need to remember that every single person is made in the image of God. Every single person is beautiful, beautifully made in the image of God. And imagine if we began to see each other in this way, as people who were creations of a God who calls us lovely and live into our lovableness in that way. The world would be healed because we have seen something of God in one another. And I think this is what we are invited to in this day, to very simply see the image of God in others. You can get the Jesus Storybook Bible wherever books are sold. To find out more about the book and all of Sally's other books, please visit Sally at sallylloyd-jones.com and follow her on Instagram at sallylloydjones and at Jesus underscore storybook underscore Bible. Before we go, don't forget, God loves you with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Oh, hello. It's me again, Sally. I'm just popping back briefly to say two things. The first thing is, don't forget to subscribe to the show because that way you'll get the stories straight to your phone. And the other thing is, while we're at it, would you rate the show and leave us a review? That would be so great because it helps other people find the show too. I really appreciate your help. Thank you.